I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother Jonah. We're two siblings who love to talk about our childhood and nostalgia and how it shaped us into the people we are today. Who are pretty charmingly charismatic, if I do say so myself. Welcome to How Did We Get Weird. So Vanessa, today, you know, in honor of our topic and our guest, I wanted to talk really quickly about our senior projects. Yes. I don't know if this is a thing that all high schools do, and we can talk about that, but we had a thing in our high school, basically the last few months of our senior year, we could kind of do an internship. Yeah. Basically, and get out of going to school. Maybe the last month. I don't know. How long was it? I think it was only like a month, if that. It was like a few weeks or a month. Yeah. And so I'm a couple years older, and I worked at this record store in Mentor, Ohio called Ultrasound Records. Yes. And it was like a punk and hardcore and metal record store. And the owner, Gary, basically let me work there for free. And then I remember like a parent from the school had to come check on it. I was going to ask you, do you remember your parent check-in? Because I remember mine. I remember the parent being kind of weirded out. Because it was like, you know, this was a like a record store in the 2000. So it's like, no offense against this store, but like, I would say a large percentage of the stuff sold there was bootlegged. So it was like bootleg t-shirts, bootleg VHS tapes, like just lots of obscure metal, vinyl and CDs. And I felt like 
she was a little bit like, what's going on here? Right. But yeah, I think it was good overall. My friends would come in. I would hang out this record store. Then I think that summer, the owner felt bad enough to kind of offer me like a paying job. I remember wanting to get paid in CDs and then being like, no, I have to pay you money. You you can buy CDs, but yeah. I legally can't just like give you a gift certificate. Do you remember? I think at the end of Senior Project, we had to do like a presentation about it. Do you you had remember? to make like a poster board. Right. And I think mine might be in our parents' basement somewhere. And there's all these photos. Nice. There's a photo of Dwid from the Singer for Integrity in a Hawaiian shirt. He used to come in the store all the time. There's Whoa. photos of my friends. There's just a bunch of random stuff. I was just taking photos. I do remember at one point taking photos of like a wall of bootleg tapes and then being like, mm, don't take photos of that. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. That's really funny. That's really Yeah, funny. what about you? What did you do? I don't think you worked at like a punk record store. I volunteered at university hospitals. You know, I was fresh off surviving childhood leukemia. And so I thought, what better than to return to my kind of <laughs> roots, place where I was treated for leukemia and place where I was born, University Hospitals of Cleveland. Sure. Very cool cool rainbow babies and children's hospital shout out and i was on a floor for kids who had to get organ transplants and so i had like a pretty serious senior project and i remember that there were also some kids I don't know if this is how it's referred to anymore, but who had shaken baby syndrome and they were doing fine. Like I remember the moms coming to visit and them being sort of like a little freaked out for a different reason. Like they were like, wow, how did these kids do it? How did these parents do it? And I remember like as a leukemia survivor being like, we do it. <laughs> like I just sort of being like, they were like, I don't know if I could do this every day. I was like, maybe you couldn't, you wimp. <laughs> like I remember just being like feeling pretty punk about being in okay, the hospital. Okay, so you're also and, embodying the punk mentality. Yeah, maybe embodying the setting. punk mentality. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a really good experience. I remember they told me they specifically did not want me to be on a floor with kids with leukemia because they were like, that might be a little much for you. Sure. And they were probably right. But again, feeling very punk on the floor I was on and felt like I was able able to really like I think there were also some kids with cystic fibrosis on that floor. They were really sweet kids and I remember really kind of bonding with them. But speaking of punk, <laughs> I just recently talked to a friend of mine from high school, Ryan Johnson who lives here in LA and she was saying she didn't go on senior project on purpose because she was like I went to school every day and it was so punk. She didn't say that, but it sounds like it was punk. She just went to class and there were I don't know, two people in her classes. And she said, I guess there were kids from other grades there, but she said basically her classes were pretty empty. It was very little work because like if there was a test or something, most kids didn't have to take it. So there just weren't a lot of tests, I don't think. I mean, I would love to get more details from her on this, but it never even crossed my mind to just not go on Senior Project. Yeah, the only kids I remember that didn't go were punished for doing like a senior prank or something, and then they weren't allowed to go. I never heard of the choice of not going, but had I known that was an option, maybe I would have done that. Yeah. Although it was a great experience. It was a great experience. But if you'll recall, our high school was like five minutes from our house. So we could have just gone in there every day and chilled. I'm glad I did it. And I think you are, too. But yeah, I'm not sure what the distance of the high school from the house has to do. with. Oh, just the fact that you know, okay, I didn't really explain it. What I'm saying is our high school was so close to our house that we could have gone into school every day and just chilled. That would have been awesome, as opposed to our senior projects were at least, you know, 25 minute, half hour drive. And we had to right. do work. So from a commuting perspective, from a commuting perspective, and then going and having to do work again, it sounds like we found them both of our senior projects very rewarding. 
you know, maybe for different reasons and some more than others, but it would have been cool to just roll up to school and be like, I guess I'm just going to chill here and quote unquote, go to class. Yeah. <laughs> if you do it again, Vanessa, maybe you can make that decision. <laughs> Our guest today is a senior staff writer at The Ringer and the host of the hit podcast, 60 Songs I Explain the 90s. He also used to write for me when I was a music editor at Alternative <laughs> Press 20 years ago, although I'm not sure we've ever met before in person. Yeah, I was going to say, but it sounds like you guys have never met. Yeah. Not in person, no. No. So let's welcome Rob Harvilla. Hey, Rob. How's it going? Hey, guys. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Yeah, thank you. Did you have any kind of senior project type situation? I was going to say that I, too, had a senior project, and I was very excited to talk about it until Vanessa started talking about her, like, <laughs> actually relevant and, like, bringing good into the world senior projects. Like, I don't want to talk about my... I interned at the local paper. I interned at the Medina Gazette. This would have been 1996. I interned for the arts editor... And what that mostly entailed was just dicking around on the internet. Like I didn't understand that they just they didn't want to really deal with me. They were very nice to me, but they didn't want to deal with me. So they just here's what you do: just go on the internet and surf around. And I had never really been on the internet very serious, and so I just spent all day like printing out guitar tabs <laughs> for Radiohead songs <laughs> on just a computer in the corner of the Medina Gazette office i like like street spirit fade out like i remember i remember printing that one out very specifically and like i kind of learned to play it but not really but they they finally let me do an article and i interviewed a guy who went on jeopardy okay like he was a jeopardy contestant and he was in that sort of window where the episode hadn't aired yet so he couldn't tell me if he won i didn't actually watch it i don't think he won (laughs) but you know he was like some smart like professor type dude who lived in medina and i just interviewed him for an hour at a picnic table about his experience on jeopardy you know, and then wrote a tight 800 words about it or whatever. And I, it, so that was my senior project, you know, it was slightly less important in the grand scheme of things, you know, to working with kids. With yeah, it involves like what you went on to do professionally. So that's kind of interesting. <laughs> my other choices were Guitar Center. They said, no, I can't work there for free, <laughs> which is like, why would I, why wouldn't I want to work at like a cool guitar store? Why would I want to, it was Guitar Center, Sam Ash. Wow. Yeah. And then my other one was the piercing shop, Chainlink Addiction. Oh my goodness. Chainlink. Which I'm glad. I feel like if I had gotten really into that, my life could have gone a totally different different way. That's a different path. For sure, yeah. My buddy worked at Guitar Center and hated it. Like he said, everybody was nuts. And he like, he had to know all these arcane facts about like what guitars were made out of. Like, is this rosewood or sandalwood or whatever? He just he yeah. painted a very grim picture of that. I experience. used to hang out there a lot in high school and like, I'd want to buy something, but it would take me so long to save up the money that I was always going of course, there. Yeah. And I remember buying this weird MIDI guitar synth thing. And then mm. I saved up for so long and then like used it twice. <laughs> Did you have like a reliable, I'm trying out this guitar, guitar song? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, great question. You pull it off the wall and like, like, what are you doing? What's what's your go to there? I want to say probably Seek and Destroy or something. There like that. we go. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. What about you? They should have hired you on the spot right there. I remember I walked into a music store once and I started trying to play Imagine on a piano and they yelled at me. They're like, do not play Imagine. <laughs> like I, I almost got kicked out. Whoa. I'm sure they were sick of hearing that. Like I was hurt at the time, but I respect it in retrospect. It's like they, they don't want to hear a stupid teenager trying to play imagine i probably it might have been radiohead street spirit honestly because that's you know it's it's very it's impossible to play honestly if you're me but I, i'm trying to impress the people around me without actually looking at the people around me like i want to be noticed you know and that's that's what i probably would have done now let me ask this jonah when rob also from ohio and and we got to hear more about that when he 
was applying to work for you at AP, did you see this Medina newspaper credit? And did you go, whoa, this guy is... This guy, I didn't. incisive questions. We got to get this guy in here. Yeah, I saw the Jeopardy piece and I thought, this kid's, this kid's got something. Yeah. No, you know, I was so young when I got hired at that job. I was only 22. I was like right out of college. I think I inherited a lot of writers from Dave Siegel who had the job before me. Like me. Like you. And Jonah, what was the job title? It was a music editor. And so... Right. Yeah, it was like, I think I would actually get all these CDs in the mail. And then I think I would actually have to mail the physical CD to the writers. You would. So that they that could must have been laborious. Music. Yeah. This, yeah. Is a, this is a pre-internet situation. But I remember that office. I, I interned there when Dave Siegel was still there. Okay. And just the physical room that he was sitting in, like he was surrounded by these towers like he was basically buried alive yes. in promo CDs and it was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah, getting mail there was the best thing. I mean, but it took hours for me to open right. the mail. Sure, I mean, it was sure, insane. Can I ask, you were the music editor, but it's a music magazine. Were there other, was there like a fashion editor and stuff? There were. The music editor basically was in charge of the CD review section. Okay. So there were other editors there. And then what would the other editors call? They'd be in charge of different editors. I don't know. Editor-in-chief, associate editor, assistant editor. Was there a fashion editor? I there guess? was not a fashion editor. I can say that. That's... <laughs> okay. Yeah, there wasn't a fashion editor. Probably could have used one. Yeah. You could write about music if you were a different type of editor. I mean, everyone wrote about music. Okay. But I just, that's what they called the review section. Got it. Rob, you remember getting like CDs in the mail? Because what I thought was cool Dave would do is he would, I think when he would get finished copies he would then mail them to the writer so they could sell them mm-hmm. yes yes all that was that was a huge part of my financial situation for many years at that point is, is, is selling cds yeah it's weird to think of cds being worth money <laughs> like it's it crazy. really is yeah. i finally yeah. sold all my cds like a year ago i live in columbus i'm near ohio state so i went to an ohio state like cd store and i you know over time i spent eight hundred a thousand dollars on all these cds like i just bring in these milk crates like hundreds and hundreds of cds i get like 60 bucks like i yeah. walk out of there dejected and like this is my life's work i know in a certain manner of speaking and like this is what it's worth to me now i'm gonna go have lunch you know but it was you know it was worth it i regret nothing but yes, the physical CD era, getting CDs in the mail and like opening them up and, you know, the giant thick press releases and the, the photos, right? Like the glossy the photos. Yeah, that was it's weird. I lived through that era and I still don't believe it actually happened now. It sounds just so foreign to my experience of the world now. Yes. And you were talking about, I think, the glossy photos recently in your own podcast and the episode about Sunny Day Real mm-hmm. Estate. That's right. Because they only had one photo. Like, that was their big thing. Like, there's only one photo of us. And we're so <laughs> cool. Like, it's that was very cool at the time. That's another thing that doesn't make any sense to me now. But I, I just remembered, and the Alternative Press had this, of course, like those gunmetal gray, like triple stacked filing cabinets just stuffed to the gills with band yeah. photos. And like a big part, I interned at the Alternative Press, and a big part of what I did was like file them are like, fine, you know, we need a photo of the Smiths right now. And so off I go to the S's, right? And just it's it smelled a certain way. Like it had a very pleasing, old, musty smell yeah. to it. Like it was super cool at the time, but just the clutter of it is just hilarious in retrospect. I interned there too in the art department, but it moved offices, I think, right when I was hired. So you That's right. Have... Yeah. I Where was the old one? Where was the one that would have been around like 98, 99? It was in this like, atrium kind of thing Mm -hmm. yeah i remember that i remember that yeah yeah it was weird that's where it was when i interned yeah 
It was very weird. But yeah, so I think we communicated and I would send you assignments and stuff, but I don't think we ever, and like we follow each other on social media, but I don't think we've ever actually met in person. No. You sent me a rad email at one point. Like I'm a jaded college student or like just post-college student. I'm pretty low on the tier of your writers, right? Like you have your go-to guys and like they get the great bands or whatever, the big records. And I'm down here getting like, you know, like third tier, like new epitaph bands, right? (laughs) And I think my writing, my reviews started to... To reflect like this is just a third tier epitaph band like it literally was a third tier epitaph band and like you sent me an email like very politely and reasonably being like you know like try and meet these guys at their level like you know just <laughs> show a little more enthusiasm was the subtext of the email but you did it in a very tactful it was a great i wish i still had it i don't think it's like on my hotmail at my hotmail sure. address or whatever but it's just it was excellent editor oh my god speak it was awesome i can't believe i did that Genu- no, but you, it was necessary. It was just like, it, like, okay, stop acting like you're above this, you know, this band from Portland or whatever we sent you. Like, I know it's not the coolest thing in the world, but like, come on. Although, Jonah, I remember always reading your reviews in AP Magazine, and sometimes you were really pretty <laughs> tough on these bands. You could be, yeah. I felt like sometimes it's like with a job like that, you feel like you're in a vacuum a little bit. Like you're writing stuff, and you're like, "Oh, this is such a good line." Like I'm, re- and then you you forget it's like going out into the world, and like people's <laughs> careers are kind of like right. depending on it. And it's like that can sometimes be a weird realization. Rob, did you ever experience that? We have a lot of power. We don't realize <laughs> it. I reviewed the first Lincoln Park record Whoa. for the Alternative Press, and I didn't get it at all. I wish I hadn't said that because I'm gonna hope it's not online i'm pretty sure that it's not but it was like just a very pissy 150 words by these guys sound like britney spears or like whatever whatever my mind state was when i was what 22 sure or whatever i was completely dismissive of the lincoln park record that went on to sell like x 10 millions of copies and like defined the music that alternative press would cover for the next 20 years like I almost ruined the magazine <laughs> by alienating like a major bands on their first record, reviewing their first record. Meanwhile, I'm in college at the same time doing an impression of Fred Durst in my all-female <laughs> sketch comedy and musical parody troupe, Bloomers. Bloomers. Yeah, I was I was hearing about that. <laughs> Isn't Fred Durst the singer of Linkin Park? No, that would be Limp Biscuit. Close enough. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Wait, Vanessa, you did a Fred Durst impression in Bloomers? Yeah. Do you remember how it sounded? I put my hair up and I wore a red hat. And then what was the big song? Break Stuff? No. Nookie. Sorry. Nookie is probably... Nookie was a big one. Break Stuff. Is there another one? <laughs> I have to have the right song in order to do the impression. You want a third Limp Biscuit song. It was That's... mostly like this. Oh, I'm Fred Durst. <laughs> You nailed it. But imagine me in a red hat. I looked. It's uncanny. The red hat is a crucial part of a a limp biscuit. That's like 95% of the way. Olivia's asking Roland. Did Roland go like this? Roland, Roland, Roland. I'm Fred Durst. That's it. (laughs) That's stupendous. That's it. But I'm sorry. That's a different band. (laughs) It's close enough. Wait, what band are they from? What is he from? Limp (laughs) Biscuit. Limp Biscuit. Right. Who's the singer of Linkin Park? Does anyone know? He's n- maybe not as much of a solo celebrity as Fred Durst. There was a singer and a rapper. Right. And so Mike Shinoda, the singer passed away. The rapper is Mike Shinoda. Okay. And they're, they're still at it. But yeah, that's... Is there any video footage of your Fred Durst impression? God, it w- you know, it's so crazy. This is wild. Wild. <laughs> when I was in college, our first couple of years, I believe our shows were recorded on VHS tape. 
And then the second couple years, like my junior and senior year, they were recorded on DVD. You were right there for the transition. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I think that's right. Because I went to college in 2000. And I think we hadn't quite switched to like full DVDs yet. But I think I probably have a VHS tape, but not easy. Yeah, because I remember coming home from on like holiday breaks and making my friends watch these like long VHS tapes. Check out my Fred Durst guys. And like, yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. It's an hour later. Is, Rob, something else that I was reading an interview with you with Brand Stussy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the creative, creative independent. independent. Is that it? Yeah. Yes. And you were talking about this Lana Del Rey <laughs> review you did for Spin. And I could relate to this so much because you were sort of saying my mother-in-law read this review and was like, it was really well written, but I didn't understand it. And I feel like that my grandparents used to subscribe to all these magazines I wrote for. And I was writing about this very esoteric, like punk and yeah. hardcore. And I felt like my parents were always like, hey, I think this is good, but it I don't understand it. That's how I feel. Yeah. And it's not because it's like very theoretical or right. like above people's comprehension. It's just. I don't know. I've never heard anyone kind of phrase it the way you did, I guess. It's a very specialized kind of writing music criticism if you get too far up your own ass with it, quite frankly, right? Like, it's just you... Mm -hmm. With that Lana Del Rey review specifically, like, yes, my mother-in-law said that to me verbatim, and I just sort of realized that, like, I'm writing for other music critics, and I'm making all these references that only people who do this for a living would get. I sort of realized how alienating it was to other people. I am so delighted by the image of your grandparents with, like... (laughs) Kid Rock on the cover of Alternative Press, like on their coffee table. And that's like, that's my grandson. Yes, I'm thinking about, well, one of the cover stories I did was with no effects when they got painted up like the Dixie Chicks. That's right. That's right. I remember that cover. Yeah. And I think they had that one. And we, I remember (laughs) at the magazine, like parents were not into that. They were not into that. I would guess they were not. Yeah, it's yeah, those are good grandparents that they would actually display that one in their <laughs> home, especially not an attractive band conventionally, <laughs> no effects. Yeah, I feel like they had this really beautiful apartment in Philadelphia and in their den, there was this coffee table that had just stacks of AP magazine on it. <laughs> it looked That's really- so beautiful. And like a Picasso print and like just, <laughs> you know, just a lot of very finely curated art and then you know cultured yes 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 and then me you know writing about thursday or something (laughs) we're not you know an artful band sure but i'm just saying it's you know a different type of art not a grand parental situation from a different era than Mm -hmm. from a different era yes well on that note rob we're gonna take a quick break but we'll be right back with rob harvilla on how did we get weird So, Rob, something that I found while we were talking that you reminded me of also is this. Yes, absolutely. And this is a guitar tablature book. For of the course it is. Alice in Chains album Facelift. And this is something we've never, I don't think we've talked about in the podcast, but these tablature books were huge in the 90s and early 2000s. Very important to me. Right? And what's a tablature book? It's basically a book of like sheet music that... Like a company, this one's put out by uh, yes. Poor Guitar, How Leonard Publishing Company. But yeah, I don't know. I guess it's licensed through the band, and they but they were usually wrong. Were they wrong? I think they were wrong a lot. I was never a good enough player to notice. That's funny. That's just that they just made it up as they went along. I think they were only right. Like now, you have bands that actually make their own tab books. I see. Do they? Okay, that's cool. That's cool. yeah. Propagandy does, and some other bands do. But the, I think these were wrong. But they would be expensive. They'd be like twenty five bucks. Bu- 
bucks. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's an investment. Yeah, I had one. I think when I was we used to play piano when we were little, right? Sure, right, and yeah. it had CNC Music Factory on it and stuff. It had like a bunch of different pop songs. Wow, and how I think I was playing that song. I've got the power. On a piano. <laughs> on a piano? <laughs> yeah. I need to hear this. How do you... I'm do, pretty do, sure. Do, do. What the bummer is that mom and dad sold our childhood piano because I bet... Because we had one of those pianos that in the bench you could store music. Oh, of course. Yeah, that's where you put it. I guess that's classic. And I had this book that had all these pop songs, including CNC Music Factory. I'm trying to think of other songs. It'd be like... I've got the power. Do, 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 do. I need to hear the piano version of Gonna Make You Sweat, Everybody Dance Now. <laughs> like this, that is just not a piano song. The songs on it were so funny in retrospect. They were really not meant for piano. Never in for a moment did I question, like, yeah. this shouldn't be played on piano. Were you singing it as Fred Durst or as yourself? <laughs> Oh, Jonah, this was before Fred Durst was in the ethos. This was, I was probably like 10 or 11. I mean, you know, had Fred Durst been around then, of course, I would have done my pitch perfect Fred Durst. But, you know, I, you know, that's the thing about time, right? (laughs) I'm picturing you at a piano recital. It's like, I will now play things that make you go hmm (laughs) by the CNC Music Factory in the key of E minor and you just rock out. You know, just people throw flowers at you. That's, yeah. that's a beautiful image. I mean, this book that I had was pretty awesome. I feel like it had songs by a lot of different artists. Again, I'm struggling. Technotronic. To... I'm trying to think of stuff. Oh, yeah. Technotronic. Groove is in the heart. I feel like there was some Gloria Estefan and Ooh, um, Paula yes. Abdul and stuff on there. Paula Abdul straight up or, yeah, Rush Rush or something. That would, that would actually be a red yeah. piano song. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Rob, do you remember any tab books you had kind of during this era? I was going to say I did not have facelift, but by far the most important tab book to me was Alice in Chains. It was Jar of Flies and Sap, like a Sap EP combined. Yep. Right. And so it had, I, I, is it I stay away or I fade away? I forget. No excuses. Don't follow. Like I, the Jar of Flies EP, like they were all acoustic, right? Like, and, yep. and so I learned all those songs. I went through a regrettable open might night phase in college and I would play <laughs> Alice in Chains songs. The Lane Staley high notes were far beyond my ability, but like, that was the most important tab book to me by far. Like I loved Smashing Pumpkins. Love. And I remember vividly being in a Camelot music and they had the wall of tab books, right? I'm like, I'm going to look at the Siamese Dream tab book. And I opened it up and it looked so hard. Yeah. Like it just, it looked virtuosic. Like the same thing. They had a Steely Dan's greatest hits and I opened that up and I was like, oh my God, I could never play this in a billion years. And like, I was too intimidated to buy that one. But the Jar of Flies, Alice in Chains was exactly my speed. And like, I would buy that facelift just for a man in the box alone. Yeah. So the thing about man in the box is like not that hard of a song to play, but <laughs> you need the dude, right? You need the talk box. You need the talk box. It's not going to sound anything <laughs> like the song. Is that what that is? I was just going to ask you guys, is that why Alice in Chains sounds like a bunch of people are singing at once? Why does it sound like that? Well, they had two singers and they sing in unison. Yeah, they sang kind of in unison, but then the other guy like was doubled or tripled and like he liked to make like a little scary orchestra out of himself. Like I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Got it. It sounds like it's like two guys who are like five, 
six, seven, eight, and then they <laughs> sing together. I don't know if they counted themselves in like that. Like that's not quite macho enough. <laughs> All right, here we go. You ready? Like, but yes, that's. And if I, I know. <laughs> so, Rob, if we're going like and because we're on the Austin Chain subject, I know you did a great episode on them for your podcast. If you got to go like favorite grunge band, if you're like mm. Allison Chain, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, where are you going? Right. Again, Smashing Pumpkins were sort of grunge adjacent. I've been thinking sure. about them a lot recently. Like they were probably one of my favorite bands. Like probably Pearl Jam is the answer. Like I got super hard into those first, you know, I had the stick man shirt, right? The 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 drawing of the stick man that you live. Like I remember specifically seeing them play Saturday Night Live, like doing the the whole alive solo. And like that's what I wanted to learn to play, and I never could. Soundgarden, they were all great, but I would probably have to just say Pearl Jam, you know, those first Vitology versus like those early Pearl Jam records were so fantastic, you know. And I'm I'm in suburban Cleveland, you know, imagining Seattle as like this this glorious mecca of of radness yes that was probably it for me did you see any of the i saw soundgarden at at nautica and the super unknown tour nautica oh man i'm so jealous i saw tons of shows at nautica but i never got to see soundgarden and i'm so mad about it. i saw bush at nautica would you accept that as a as a substitute i don't think you should but i would not <laughs> bush i respect who, that who's actually currently on tour with allison chains whoa wow the dude who sings for allison chains right now is really good actually like yes. that's one of those bands like you'd think you could not possibly replicate Lane Staley's voice or like vibe right but like he's I've seen that version with him live and it's really good yes I agree I'd go see that tour right I agree is the singer of Allison Chains just not in yeah the- Lane Staley passed away this guy William Duvall has but he's been the band now for probably 15 16 years probably longer than the actual yeah, yeah. and he's was Got in it. all he was in Blast he was in this other very early like proto-punk band he's like a very super talented singer but yeah I mean I would say for me yeah probably Soundgarden or Alice in Chains I liked like how those bands were so kind of dark right and right. I like that like they kind of like Soundgarden what they had some early stuff on SST like I felt mm-hmm. like I liked the kind of punk crossover because that was what I was more into yeah, yeah so I would say maybe one of those and both vocalists obviously incredible <laughs> Vanessa what about you okay thanks for asking I really like Pearl <laughs> Jam a lot but I think I'm gonna say Soundgarden because Maybe I've told this story on here before. I know what you're going to say, but go ahead. This is a good story. One time I met Chris Cornell at SNL because he was playing with the... Jonah, I always forget the he name. He was playing of. with like almost like a country... The Zach Brown band? Yeah, with someone you wouldn't expect. And I remember like we were doing rewrites upstairs and they were rehearsing and I was like, is that Chris Cornell? I was like, that's not our musical guest this week. He was playing with them. And then at the Good Nights, I told him that when I was a kid people used to always say I look like the girl jumping rope in Black Hole Sun. (laughs) And he was like, really? And I was like, yeah, I used to wear braces. And he was like, oh, I can see it. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought it was... So cool. And I I really, that's so sad that he passed away. That's like, he was just such a talent and it was cool to get to meet him. I was supposed to see them like two days later. They played a hard rock festival in Columbus. Oh, wow. It was like two days before they were supposed to headline. Oh, man. 
Vanessa, could you hear, like, during good nights, can you actually hear what people are saying to you up there, or is it just too loud? Yeah, you can talk to people, but it would be hard to, like, call across to someone or something, but you can talk to people. That's why people are sort of getting close and talking, because that's the only way they can hear each other. How conscious of the camera are you in that moment exactly? I've always wondered, like, how, if there's, like, a performative aspect to the people, like, just opening their arms yeah. wide and that kind of thing. <laughs> when I first started, I was really conscious of it, and I remember I got to like hug Kanye like in front of the camera like my second show and I was like this is awesome yeah the only time later on that I was really conscious of it is once in a while you get into a situation where there's no one around to hug like you're just kind of standing there oh yeah and then you sort of are like oh am I gonna get caught on like usually you're just so like (laughs) relieved that the show is and there's like just people you want to But yes, I feel like the only time I noticed it later on was if I was like by myself and I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Inching off camera. Yeah. Yeah, that's, Yeah. That's a tough, that's a tough moment. And also noticing if that was happening to other people. And then you just try and go over to that person. Oh, that's very sweet. That's a very Midwestern approach (laughs) to the situation. Now, wait, Rob, where are you from in Ohio? I was born in Cleveland. I lived in St. Louis, Missouri for a little while as a kid, but primarily Medina, which is, you know, a suburb of Cleveland, like a half hour south of Cleveland. Like I from when I was, what, 10 years old? all through high school, college, et cetera. My parents are still there. You know, I'm only an hour and a half south now. I still go up there all the time. Medina. Got it. We have a great opportunity here to just alienate your listeners with like <laughs> very Cleveland suburbs specific. Totally. Peabody's down under anecdotes, you know, just for the next 45 minutes. Oh my gosh. Peabody's down under. Yeah. So a lot of shows at Peabody's down under. Yeah. That whole area, the flats. The flats. <laughs> The Odeon was a great venue. The Odeon was red. Yeah. Fantasy, the symposium. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, then Peabody's Cafe. Grog Shop. Beachland, obviously. But yeah, there were a lot. I mean, it's wild. Um, we do have a lot of listeners from Cleveland, but I think it's hard to explain. I don't know what it's like now, but it's hard to explain what it was like in the late 90s going to the flats in Cleveland. Like, <laughs> like to go see a band. It was crazy. Right. It was like there were so many places. There were so many people. It was like mm-hmm. this really... Wild scene. I was like a teenager. And then I feel like I went back when I moved back to Cleveland in the early 2000s. And it was like literally like a ghost town. That's a dark moment when you're at, where's the the Hooters or whatever. Yeah. Like Nautico is rad, right? Because like it was like on the river. Yep. And they're like boats and shit. Like that was was awesome. Nautico was just very cool to me. Yes. You know, living in Medina, Ohio at the time. I don't know if you remember this. There was a radio festival and this is really maybe going to alienate people, but there was a radio <laughs> festival and I think it might have been one of the buzzard fests. WMMS. Oh, yeah. WMMS. I don't know if it was that, but it was some kind of radio festival and Green Day was supposed to play. Mm. And this was like the peak dookie, like, but like just kind of hitting the peak. All right. And I was there super early. I was, I don't think I could even drive yet. And I think this was a show I got dropped on my head, crowd surfing to Collective Soul. <laughs> and then... Green Day was supposed to play and they ended the show. They were like, there's too many people here. Green Day can't play. And then they came back and went to Blossom. And I saw them there with Sam. I, I saw the Blossom show. You saw that? that was I. Re- yes, I did. It was them with like Moist. I s- One of the opening bands was a Canadian band named Moist, which... I saw Moist in high school multiple times. I roadied for my guitar teacher's <laughs> band named Trip and they played at the Odeon with Moist. Awesome. What was their big song? What was Moist's big... It was called Push. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah. I've been on Moist Wikipedia page probably in the last few months being like what are these Hopefully guys up on to? private browsing but yeah it's, i know <laughs> any I, band from that era i've probably been their wikipedia page in the last three months yeah this show i th- maybe they play but i remember 
Sam I Am played because I'm friends with Sergio mm-hmm. from Sam I Am. And he said they flew in to Cleveland just to play that one show at Blossom with Green Day. I remember there was like a grass fight, right? Like out on the line. There was yeah. a grass fight. That was a big show. It was right when school started. What do you started. mean people were throwing grass at each other? Yeah, they were on the lawn at Blossom, like one of the big outdoor amphitheaters, right? And so everybody, so this you know, is, it's like five bucks to get in. And so you got a bunch of unruly teenagers. This is the craziest part about this. And I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast. I know if you get to our topic, but this is so insane to think about. Vanessa, I don't know if you know this. I I went to the show with like four other kids from my high school and someone's mom was like, instead of driving them there, we should rent a limousine. <laughs> okay, That's the coolest mom of all time. You went in a limo to the Green Day show? I went in a limo with like five of my friends. Was it anyone else from our high school that I would know or were they all from other schools? Lee Rollins, Michael Gableman, can't remember, a couple other people. Okay. And we went in this limo and it drove us there. <laughs> and, you know, it's like this amphitheater. So you're driving through these long things, the parking mm-hmm. lot. Then it waited for us the whole show. I mean, it's obviously pre-cell phone. It waited for us the whole show and then we got back in this limo and i remember on the way out we had the windows down we're like we're like 15 we had dyed hair and we're like did you poke out that sunroof i don't know if we poked out the sunroof but i remember we were moshing in the limo and the no. driver was like you guys no. have to stop and we we're yelling at the window i mean people probably thought we were some limo but moshing. i remember it was like seemed like it wasn't expensive <laughs> i feel like it was like 30 bucks a person or it seemed like it was really underpriced for for a limo to sit there for five <laughs> hours yeah the guy's sitting there reading back issues of alternative press, you <laughs> yeah. know, waiting for the moshers. Oh. Yeah. Limo moshing. Yeah. I'm trying to picture like five dudes in like in yes. like a limo type environment. Wow. That's punk rock. The driver was not psyched about us moshing. <laughs> That's not, I would not be amused if that were my job. <laughs> that is rad as hell, man. <laughs> Well, thank you for indulging me on that. And I want to get to today's topic because it is related. Yes. And Rob, today, the topic you brought in is great. We can relate to this as well. It is um, your parents' record collection. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if you can just sort of tell us a little bit about your parents' record collection and and give us kind of the the lowdown on it. Sure. Uh, So this is mid, early 80s, right? And I'm living in St. Louis, Missouri, in the suburbs of St. Louis at the time. And like we had the stereo, right? Like vinyl on top, then a tape deck, and then the radio. And like it was housed in this thing there was like a glass front with like a magnet door and you could store the vinyl at the bottom shelf like and i can picture the squeaking hinge when you like open the thing to look at the records like this is a very important physical object to me this stereo yeah i was trying to make a list of every record i knew for a fact that they had right it's like multiple cindy lopper records same yeah mm-hmm. yeah the, like she's so unusual and the next one true colors i think it was called True colors I, was huge in our house true colors was awesome <laughs> true colors was truly fantastic thriller of course of course same purple rain of course my dad had a steely dan sort of thing so a couple steely Dan records, Saturday Night Fever, and then also the coveted Sesame Street disco record that was patterned after Saturday Night Fever. Like I gather, <laughs> like if you go on Discogs, I think like this is a, a, a profound, you know, coveted object. The Sesame Street disco record, that Bruce Springsteen live box set, where it was like way too many. It was like five vinyl albums of Bruce Springsteen live like came in its own little cardboard thing like, like this 85 to whatever our parents yeah. have that too I still mm-hmm. I have two copies for some reason but I have our parents copy I have that. one back here as well yeah 
and like my dad was into Willie Nelson. Like I just I can picture each and every individual record. The only choreographed dance I've ever done in my life. Like I, <laughs> I, I worked up a thing to one of the uh, Saturday Night Fever songs. I think I think the Beethoven Saturday Night Fever song. Like I would dance around. This is in my basement. There's a ping pong table. There's the TV. There's like a couch, and then there's me like disco dancing. You know, at five, six, seven years old, listening to my parents' records. It's like this is this is what made me for better or worse. Oh my gosh, that is incredible. Yeah, I mean, Vanessa, do you remember our parents' record set Some of the same ones. I mean, definitely True Colors mm-hmm. was huge for me. Yeah. We had the Tina Turner record with What's Love Got to Do With That. That was like one. a big... Private dancer. Yeah, yeah. Big song for... Yeah. I at one point took like... We had these two big drawers in our living room full of records. And at one point... When I had gotten into vinyl, I took like all the records I thought were cool, which was like a very small percentage. <laughs> I was not interested in most of the records. But our mom was a big Bob Dylan fan. So there's a lot of Dylan, ah. Allman Brothers. Then there was like Grateful Dead, American Beauty. Wow. All right. That's pretty I cool. I feel like there was some Madonna. I was very into Madonna. Sure. Sometimes it would be like Hanukkah presents for me. It would be like the Madonna or the Cyndi Lauper. Yeah. But I felt like as far as what our parents, yeah, it was then it would be like, you know, one Tom Petty record, like one. It was like very like rock what was popular at that time. Like, it was um, the Heartlands. Yeah. But then also like we also had We Are the World was mm-hmm. really playing a lot. We had like a mini record of We Are the World. I feel like a it was, 45, right? Yeah. yeah like a seven inch, and then yeah. we had free to be you and me and the book. Ooh. Remember? Do you remember that Jonah? Do I you guys vaguely remember, remember that? the record. I remember the most. And I know like, this is not like the most popular thing to say these days is the thriller gatefold. Yes. LP. Of course. I mean, it was, and I just would run upstairs when the Vincent price, Vincent price part would come on. It was so oh, really? scary. You were not a fan of Vincent price. Huh? It was too scary. That part, that record. And, really scared me really okay i just want to say that the video the video i guess you couldn't have handled either the like video that, was, that was scary. legitimately yeah yeah that was kind of scary when he turns around at the end yeah that's tough yeah i was like maybe you could just make music and not scare people <laughs> but i guess um the whole follow x we're getting into but anyway yeah i remember thriller playing all the time we are the world playing all the time free to be you and me playing all the time which seems like i'm the only one who has that memory yeah i don't remember that one it had songs like it's all right to cry and like Hmm. it was so great we did a play of it in my after school theater program when i was in middle school but jonah you don't remember this as much as me but i feel like we were playing records in our house a lot yeah it's possible i don't remember as much but i guess i sort of remember the receiver and the radio rob did you have any kind of musical overlap stuff you like the same as your parents? I mean, they sort of raised me to love all the stuff I just mentioned. I just looked up the album cover to Free to Be You and Me and I have a vague sense memory of it. Like it's pink and like it's bubble letters and it's like the kids yeah. playing around it. Like I have seen this record. I didn't know it by that name. It's, but yeah, I think I do know it's what you It's Marlo Thomas and Friends. Right, right. Yeah, it's got you, you got some Dick Cavett, <laughs> Diana Ross. Wow. That's yeah. it. This is a cool little record. Yeah. Bobby Gibb. All right. My parents... I I just inherited my parents' music taste to a degree. Like I still love all those records and still associate those records with them and with my childhood. Like my mom was huge and remains huge into U2. We also had a couple, you know, obviously, yeah, with the Joshua Tree and the Unforgettable Fire, right? And that's like that's that was my first sort of understanding as I was starting to become like have my own musical tastes. Like that's what I shared with my mom, especially. My mom loved you too. Yeah, it's like everything, you know, my life talking about music for a living somehow starts with those records. And like I still love Cindy Lauper's records today. 
play. And yeah, it's I absolutely just ingrained all of them. They're all ingrained in me. Yeah, I feel like there's almost like a disconnect with me, like where I was trying to connect, but the stuff I was into was so Mm. different. Like I remember our parents having a party and having friends over and this was the era of CDs. We had a CD boombox. I remember being like, oh, you guys like Bob Dylan, like ministry covers lay lady lay let me put this on for you i'm playing this like metal industrial version and everyone the party clears yeah like when i play my own band's music and stuff everyone's like what is this this is like unlistenable sort of and just having that kind of reaction being like no this is like a cover of a song you guys like and then being (laughs) like this sounds nothing like this which is true i think i believe it's on the album filth pig Mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah that's a it's a great party (laughs) album filth pig absolutely yeah Yeah. I mean, I, I did li- like some of that stuff and I did like Dylan. I did like some of that stuff, but I felt like there was always this conflict between that stuff and sort of my punkness or something. I think you either rebel against it and reject all of it or you just take all of it in, right? Like there's basically, right. it's a binary. You either love all of it or you hate all of it just because they loved it. And it seemed a lot easier at the time to just love it as well. And so that's what I did. Vanessa, what about you? How do you feel you were kind of related to our parents' kind of musical tastes? Well, first of all, Jonah, it was interesting. We were talking about this yesterday. Like they had their records in these two big drawers that were like sort of under like a sitting area in our family room. And I didn't realize Jonah was saying that was a really good way to store them. Hmm. I just thought it was so weird that we had these drawers that pulled out of. They weren't really displayed. Yeah. But now as an adult who has a ton of records and like animals running around, I'm like, oh, I wish I had this. Right. right, Ikea wasn't around. The Calax, you know, you didn't have that in 1985. Like, I hope the people who live in the house we grew up in now use those drawers for records because they are really handy drawers and I'm sure protect them really well. But yeah, I just remember the other thing that I thought was really cool about records that really did not follow on to CDs was that the artwork and stuff on them was so big. Absolutely. Sure. That it was really kind of mesmerizing. And to that point, I will say now as an adult, I don't know if I have any of mom and dad's records, but I definitely have records that, you know, modern bands have given me for different things or like I've gotten just some of Jonah's band's records and stuff. And I don't have a record player. So I have a lot of them on display and they are kind of like artwork, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, it would be so very cool to be able to play them. And I do need to get a record player, I suppose. Yeah. Rob, do you listen to vinyl at home a lot or is it? I'd like to tell you that I do. Like I have a record player right back here that I sort of painstakingly compiled like off Craigslist or whatever. But I just I don't fire it up as often as I probably should. Yeah. You know, just because it's so hilariously inconvenient, right? For, you know, <laughs> yes. now that now that you're used to first CDs, but now just like streaming, right? Like you just have like a bunch of boxes in front of the speakers, like to get the optimum sound would take like several minutes of physical labor, which is just for some reason not worth it for me to hear like Cindy Lauper or whatever. Like I might as right. well just put it on my computer. And I feel bad saying that. Like it's, I'm not one of these people who goes around talking about the warmth of old vinyl, like necessarily necessarily but it is like there's a ritualistic experience to it for me and it is it's just an instant kind of nostalgia vibe regardless of how old the record i'm playing is just the act of putting it on the turntable like that's enough to send me back right yes do you guys think that records sound better than other forms of music this is a very controversial topic Vanessa, <laughs> that oh, i it think is. like would take a long we're time we're not to gonna go solve through. it on here today <laughs> We can try. We can try. You know, it's like analog versus, you know, digital. And, you know, a lot of people do believe that record, you know, if you have a good sounding setup, it can sound a lot better if the files are really digitally compressed. But what I don't understand, and Rob, I don't know how much you know about audio. 
I have like a Sonos like receiver. Me too. That like I plug into, I don't have it set up here, but but I plug it into and then it goes to speakers and then I'm like, well, does this make any sense? Like this is like an analog signal, but then it's just going to these wireless speakers. What's it <laughs> like? It seems what's the point? Right. I don't have any technical know-how on it. Okay. You know, like I, it's always been an emotional thing for me again, like just the little pops and the cracks in the record. It's like, yes, there's if like a low quality MP3, like you can tell sounds bad, right? Like the worst digital music sounds terrible compared to like, anything else right but i think you know like a spotify quality like an itunes quality like a ripped cd at this point like yeah i i I respect people who insist that they can tell a difference or like have a strong opinion but like i am projecting an emotional yes valence onto this stuff like i can't really look you in the eye and say oh yeah like this sounds different this sounds better right like it's just it's the physical experience of doing it is what's different for me rather than how it sounds necessarily that makes sense yeah well vanessa we gotta get your record player we got to get me a record player and i just want to say too rob that i choreographed a lot of dances to Mm -hmm. different record songs and jonah i don't know if you remember this but i'm pretty sure that our babysitter tebby choreographed for us a dance to the right stuff by nkotb of course formerly known as new kids on the block Mm -hmm. forever in our hearts new kids on the block but i think that was to a cassette but yeah love choreographing dances to the record player and yeah jonah i'd love to get a record player now and then maybe can choreograph up some new dances to break stuff by Limp Biscuit. Yeah, just, <laughs> to break stuff. Don't don't <laughs> yeah. actually break stuff. Yeah, don't you know, break just, stuff. I won't break stuff, you guys. I'm just gonna come up with an awesome dance. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, and on that note, we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Rob Harvilla. All right, Rob, we're back, and now it's a moment. You've been waiting for? I'm so excited by this. Okay, we gotta say... Sincerely excited. (laughs) We're gonna play Legit Moaner Unnecessary Grown, obviously based on the column Monday Moaning from the Cleveland Plain Dealer, now defunct column. Obviously, yeah. Rob, you gave us some information before we started... The podcast that was really mm-hmm. quite interesting and impressive. And impressive. Thank you. <laughs> you applied to work at the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Is that correct? I did. That is correct. Right. So, okay. I went, I graduated from Edina High School about a half hour south of Cleveland in 1996. Okay. I went to Ohio University, graduated from there in 2000. So, I'm trying to get a job in 2000. And were you a journalism major? I was. I was a magazine journalism major. Okay. Like you were saying, like I was sort of half internet age and half not like the physical move right. from VHS to DVD like that really resonates for me like it's just I went to a completely different school I feel like than kids now who are dealing with like the internet right like I so yes I sent out packets you know resumes clips and again, this is physical clips. Like you get the manila envelope, right? And you fill it up with your, your, you get like a good resume, you know, paper stock, like very professional looking, not like a neon color or anything. Oh just, yeah, just it has right. to be nice, a thick oh, stock. Yeah. A thick stock and just off-white or eggshell <laughs> or whatever. This is all very important. And then you print out your clips from your, you know, your college newspaper or whatever, you know, my my musings on Sir Mix-a-Lot or whatever. And I mail it off to the plain dealer. Like I find, I don't even know. And what if, job specifically? 
exactly. Do you know what you're applying for? <laughs> Probably not anything specific. Like, what is the lowest rung on the totem pole at the <laughs> Cleveland Plain Dealer in 2000, right? Like an intern, probably? Maybe the Monday Moaning Editor. I would have done that. I had no idea. <laughs> I had, I am so excited to play a Plain Dealer-themed game. I had no idea that this existed. I think my parents only subscribed to the Weekend Plain Dealer to get the comics, etc. I have never heard of this comic so in my life. So you didn't get the paper on Monday, so of course you no, didn't I get didn't. Monday Moanings. Now, you would have probably done a better job than they did. I would like to think that I would have. I think I would have been great at that job. I do not recall getting any response from the plane dealer whatsoever. Wow. You know, not what could have been, man. Well, interesting. Yeah, because I wonder if you were in charge of Monday Moaning, if it wouldn't have (laughs) gone extinct about 10 years ago. They had someone who knew what they were doing. Do you think that was their response to the internet? Maybe. This column? It's like, we need like interaction. Like we need to replicate a message board, but under like very precise, you know, curated circumstances. Yes. Yeah, it's funny because I remember reading it for sure in high school. Oh, we thought it was so funny. I remember we thought it was really funny. I wasn't interested in actual news or what was happening in the world. This is the only thing I read. This and maybe the comics. This is news. Yeah. This is news. So I'm going to get us kicked off, Rob. You know how to play the game. Obviously, we're going to read one of these complaints that was actually printed in this column in The Plain Dealer, and then we are going to decide whether they are a legit moan or an unnecessary groan. Mm-hmm. I can kick things off. Please. These ones are from July 2011. And here we go. I can't understand why these TV stations, when they have a religious program on, always say they do not endorse that programming. I have pity on them because someday they will come to understand. That's it. No city listed. Rob, Rob, what do you think of this one? Implying that the cable people might go to hell seems (laughs) rather harsh to me. Unnecessary groan feels insufficient as a way to describe this. Like unnecessary damnation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that's you, you took it there immediately. And that's that's a lot on a Monday morning. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I just, yeah. I don't know if I can. I was raised Catholic. I know the mentality, I'd like to think, but like this seems like that escalated quickly is the vibe that I get from that. You know what's interesting about this is like this person is treating like the TV station like it's like one entity, mm-hmm. <laughs> a person with their own beliefs. And that really reminds me of what we were talking about, you know, with your Limp Bizkit review earlier. You know, when I was a music editor, it's like we put a band on the cover and then I would send the album out for review and someone would give it a terrible review. Mm-hmm. You know, and then later people would write in and be like, you put this band on the cover, but you say the record isn't good. And I'm like, the alternative press liked this. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, well, because these are different people. Like, I, I don't like I don't right. know what people are going to say. And so yeah. was, that was the, probably the most complicated part of the job. But yeah. So this person is acting like this TV station is just one person who has like a one specific religious belief when probably maybe some doctor NBC. Yeah. Maybe some people, at the station believe this religious thing. Maybe some people aren't as into it, but yeah, they got to say that. So I don't think that means the whole station's going to hell. I don't know. Uh, Vanessa, what about you? I'm going to take a leap here and say that this person thinks it's Christian programming. Like yeah. this person's Christian because what if it's Jewish programming or what right. if it's sure. another religion? Like it, this, this person isn't really leaving space for like, the multitude of religions that are out there. Yeah, I think they'd be okay with them not endorsing certain programming. Exactly, exactly. It's a vibe I get. And also, I've got a huge edit for this person to make. I just want to read this sentence. This is the thing that always shocks me about Monday Morning, the lack of proofreading. Mm. Okay, let me just say, let me read the first sentence one more time. I can't understand why these TV stations, when they have a religious program on, always say they do not endorse that programming. No commas in that sentence, by the way. No commas. Here's how I would write. (laughs) 
hate it. <laughs> okay. I can't understand why these TV stations say they do not endorse programming when it is religious. Hmm. Two editors in the family. That's all you <laughs> needed to say, buddy. Hey, maybe I'll take advice from you when you know how to write a correct sentence. That's right. But actually, I won't. But also, like, just, just, just write the sentence correctly. I have pity on them because someday they will come to understand. That is ominous. Hmm. Yeah. Can't even understand your post, you weirdo. <laughs> Why don't you take care of that first? I have zero understanding or pity for this person. I find this to be a completely unnecessary groaner, as you said, Robin, unnecessary damnation. And I think this person can honestly go to hell. (laughs) Wow. All right. I respect it. I I was going to say that I think a crucial element of this feature is that you let them speak in their their own words, right? It sort of defeats the purpose of reader interaction to edit them so they sound better. Except I will say this. They're not being recorded. They're writing it out. (laughs) That's true. Okay. That's fair enough. They have the power to make it correct. Okay. All right. I think we're in agreement on that one. Vanessa, you want to read the next one? Okay. Please, people, it is not fashionable to be late. It's not supposed to be nine-ish or ten-ish. When it's nine, it's nine. When it's ten, it's ten. It is downright rude to be late. (laughs) I got to say something. First impression of this person. Also, they don't list their city. This is the person who when you're like, hey, I'm having people over for dinner at seven. This person arrives at 6.55 and you go, Wait outside, sir. Yeah, I'm vacuuming. Yeah. Can I ask how please people is punctuated? Is it please, comma, people, period? It's like this. These people do not love. They love a run on sentence. It's please, comma, people, comma. It is not fashionable to be late, period. That's all right. It's not supposed to be nine-ish or ten-ish. Semicolon. Semicolon. When it's nine, comma, it's nine, semicolon. When it's ten, comma, it's ten, period. It's down hyphen right rude to be late period semicolons and hyphens we're putting on airs yeah, yeah. this person is this person's not messing around i guess this person's not. more worried about using as much punctuation as possible than about uh, i'm i'm annoyed by this person it might be because i am a late person mm. by nature we had kind of late people parents i would say i think that's fair <laughs> to say And I've grown into a late person. I think Jonah has been able to correct that better than I have. But I will say that, you know, I get it. So you're saying this is an unnecessary groan for you? For me, it's an unnecessary groan. Okay, Rob, what about you? I'm not going to get it, obviously. I would like a little more information on late for what? Like, you know, my knee surgery. Like, I can understand, like, desiring a little, you know, like a child's baptism. Right. You know, like, there are some situations, you know, I would like to know exactly if it's a party, as you said, as such. Without, you know, just taking this on the sentences and punctuation marks itself, like this, this seems a little unnecessary. I, you <laughs> know, they haven't damned grown. us and I do appreciate that. Like we've established the floor, <laughs> but this feels, I would still say unnecessary grown for this just without any information about what exactly people are being laid for. Yeah, I agree. We've talked about before in the segment, you know, it's a certain type of person that's writing these letters <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of them revolve around kids are on their phones too much. Right. Right. Kind of like this kind of cranky mentality. And this kind of figures into it like where you're like, okay, this person doesn't maybe sound that fun to hang out with and probably is very annoyed by many small things in life. Right. So to me, it's like, yeah, people are late. I don't know. You don't know what's going on. It's yeah. Unless it's like, like you said, Rob, like a surgery or something. Yeah. You know, if someone's five minutes late and they say, 
nine ish and show up at nine oh five. I don't right. really. I think that's a bit of an unnecessary groan. Yeah. What percentage of the time groan. in this segment is it a necessary moan? Like I feel like you really tilt towards. Yeah, it happens, <laughs> rare. but it's more rare. It's pretty rare. Yeah, as you say, like the demographic that would participate in this, and the you know, it's like th- these are unnecessary groaners by nature. You know, this yeah. Is- now, did you know, Rob? For a period of time, there was a thing called Thankful Thursdays, right, Jonah? Is that what it was called? Yeah, they replaced it. It was their answer to Monday moaning, but that lasted even shorter than (laughs) didn't take off the same way didn't take off the same way again who knew with you at the helm what they could have done yeah i'm saying i could have turned it around so thankful thursdays was just you know i'm grateful you know that the cleveland browns are in the playoffs or what that didn't actually ever happen but you know what i mean okay yeah right would have been yeah now jonah do you want to read this next one which you feel pretty passionately about so this is the last one this one is a bit long this is our final one i did some research on this one this one is, is a lot so bear with me it's coming from independence Mm. and here we go independent school system moaning about a 1.4 million dollar deficit by 2014 this could mean a loss of programs and teaching positions they continue to pay a few janitors thousands of dollars in overtime i view the janitor just sitting along with myself at numerous events to save taxpayers money the school should do what the city has done for years they hire part-time workers i realize rental charges include a janitor fee using a part-time person could save additional money help us taxpayers we support school taxes for the education of our children. Our janitors make a fair salary on our taxes. This person was 100% formerly married to a janitor. I would put my <laughs> life. I have never heard like anti-janitor content yes. yeah. in any form in my entire life. That's a very specific gripe. Yeah, it's weird because this person almost, I feel like is treating the janitor like it's like should be their private housekeeper. Like, oh, you should be polishing something or doing so you know yeah. it's like what do you care like and they're on hand not only do they have like stuff to do all the time but they're also supposed to be around in case that something happens like they have a very important job and also i would prefer if this person would call them custodians mm-hmm. yeah i think at least when we were growing up that was the more yes acceptable word and, and i want to flash it forward because they're saying there's a, independence is going to have a 1.4 million dollar deficit 2014 You're not i looked gonna... into independence's um, this was written in 2010 i did some research and i found out from an article from 2019 that in 2020, independent schools is going to have an $11.7 million surplus. So Okay, and Jonah, read what you wrote after that in our notes. And then I wrote in our notes, because this armchair economist wasn't in charge. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) When the kid yaks in the auditorium, you're going to want a janitor who's well-paid. Yeah, you're not going to go, oh, he's part-time. He's not here right now. It's like, also, like, what do you do? Why don't you work part time, <laughs> sir? A good question. How is this the thing that's going to save the school millions of dollars in yeah. deficit? Like, this seems like a very dollars. Yeah. This seems like a very small, specific piece. Like you said, Rob, it seems to me like there's something else going on here we don't know about. I've never seen a custodian drive off in a limo, you know, full <laughs> yeah, of moshing the, teenagers. These custodians have to deal with <laughs> such annoying kids and parents, which it sounds like this is what this person is. Yes. And they're doing God's work. They and are. this person has the nerve to say, I saw a custodian sitting around and I feel like they should be working part time. It's like, hey, sir. And this also could be I don't know that this is a man, but like it is. It is. <laughs> why don't you just how about this? How about you get a life? And why don't you work part time <laughs> and spend a little bit of your time growing up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Get a mop and get a clue, pal. Yeah. Yeah. When he goes straight to hell there with was- the guy who wrote the first one Monday morning that we read. It's funny because this is like the most kind of aggressive I think Vanessa gets. Yeah. And so it's, it's, this is really bringing out some anger. I also want to say that Jews don't believe in hell. So as I say that, I don't really mean it. But but you do mean it. You, you mean. <laughs> I do mean it. Wow. Uh, yeah. These people have really gotten, <laughs> me, gotten to me. Today, yeah. yeah. But Vanessa, Rob, take a couple feeling? deep breaths. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to go with unnecessary groan. Okay. That seems like the right. I'm not I'm not swimming against <laughs> this. Unnecessary groan. No way. Yeah. That's my. I am pro custodian as a class. Yes, absolutely. This is that person was married to a custodian. Yeah, I think so too. All right. Well, Rob, thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. Yes. Thank you. Well, you should definitely come back, but where can people kind of see your writing, hear the podcast, all that kind of stuff? Where can people find out more about you? Well, I write for the ringer.com, but yeah, these days I'm mostly doing the show, which is called 60 songs that explain the nineties and it's on Spotify. I think it's also on other like Apple and such now too, though I've never investigated that, but it's primarily Spotify. You can Google, it. I'm on Twitter at Harvilla, H-A-R-V-I-L-L-A. But yeah, that's that's my gig these days. Amazing. That's great. Well, yeah. Well, thanks so much, Rob, for coming. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Of course. Thank you to everyone for listening. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe for our podcast and check out next week's episode of How Did We Get Weird, where we will discuss more stories from our childhood and cultural touchstones like our parents' record collection. Yes. And you and me are free to be. You and me 